We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? You uh, you got some snow? Snow. Yeah, it's got, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you, you know that's one of my favorite of the Drew voices is you being that's like right. Rudolph. That's uh. <laughs> Yeah, we actually got some sort of sticking to the ground for the first time in a few years. Feels really, it feels, you know what it feels like? It's like 2017. It's an amazing feeling. You remember how happy you were in 2017? I Donald honestly, Trump Roth, I can't remember president. what the fuck I did no, yesterday. It know? sucked, dude. This whole thing has been one uninterrupted block of more or less the same vibes. It is nice when it snows, though. That part is neat. Um, I have to go to the post office later, so I'm going to get to clomp around in it like a little goofball, and that'll be nice. Wow, shit weather, and you have to go to the post office? What a great day. That's Yeah, I I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm bragging about how cool my life is right now. I apologize to any <laughs> listeners who feel, I don't know, envious or whatever. You go to the post office, and everyone in line just looks so annoyed that they have to be at the post office. It's just like, yeah. oh, fuck me. I've, I've been a, uh, become a, a real advocate for the, the automatic postage dispensing machines. I helped a older man use one the last time i was there and it's like that's the last time that i'm gonna feel like a young person because by the standards of people that go to a terrestrial post office i think i somehow still am on the younger end of the demo so i was like yeah yeah." so i was like just dip your credit card in here and he's like okay and then like some stamps came out and he was like thank you young man and i was like that's (laughs) super (laughs) that feels amazing only in new york yeah maybe i don't know that accent my kids had a delay today. They had a two-hour delay, even though there's no snow on the ground here. I just I live in a place where, like, they they feel a slight draft and they cancel school. But anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, but they didn't they didn't announce the delay until five this morning. I'm always the first one up in the house. That's just how it works. I get up, up. I get up everybody at five. Hmm? No, 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 no. I wasn't. Yeah. No, no, no. I I get up around six thirty. I got okay. Up, You're not on check the my Mark, email. Mark Wahlberg lifestyle. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't. Well, I have my limits. Like I'm a morning person, but only so much. So yep. I go check my phone. I'm like, oh, okay. So then, like back in the day, if there was a delay or a snow day, I was like, oh fuck, because the kids were small. So like, I would have to like deal with them mm-hmm. during the day. That doesn't happen anymore. Like they're you know, they're eleven, fifteen, and eighteen. So it's like it doesn't. They they know they can handle their own shit. Right. It's not like a Gremlins two scenario where like one of them is always trying to shove another one into a shredder somewhere right, in the right, house right. or whatever. There's, yeah. there, no, there's none of that shit. There there will be. So, like last night, I was like, oh well, there might be snow, and I I text, I you know I do I I send a text to the family like group text, and the eleven year old just writes yay with like a thousand Y's on the end, and I start <laughs> laughing. And like I'm at the I'm at the point now where like it's it's kind of fun to have a snow day with them. It's kind of fun to have them around because I know they're not gonna be here much longer. And so I this morning I got to sneak into their rooms like while they were asleep, and I was like, "Hey, two hour delay." <laughs> and like like the like the the 15 year old was like, Bleh. and then like the the 11 year old was like, "Yes," and then and and then the 18 year old was like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> That was a very, very nice little bit of my morning. And they've all fucked off to school since then. But I was going to say, that part of it also, like, now it ends happily with it's just, like, you and Carter hanging out around the house recording a podcast, which is good. Yeah. It's fun to be the bearer of good news and not the bearer of bad news. It's hard news to be, to, like, sneak into your kid's room and be like, hey, don't wake up. You don't have to wake up. Yeah, like, I that's know. That's so kind of- <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, yeah, it's like, it's like three students. It's like, it's like, hey. Wake up and go to sleep. Like there's nothing. Like it's <laughs> yep, the only yep. way I can inform them. Like yeah. once in a while, 
my daughter, like, I'll wake up and there'll be a text message from my daughter at like 1 a.m. being like, there's no school tomorrow. Like, she'll get the alert and she'll know because she keeps her phone by her bed. I don't. So, yeah. Uh, uh, we can talk briefly. You're, you're in luck, Ross, because the NFL season is now over. You don't have to worry about me pissing and moaning about football anymore. Poor Mat- oh, Matthew Collar has no such luxury. I'm assuming that you were you were texting up a little storm today. There was a brief Kirk Cousins news boomlet that had Drew in a tailspin <laughs> earlier this morning, which I Yeah, I can't about. I can't actually repeat it publicly, but it's like like Matthew's entire job hinges on making sure that Kirk Cousins does not come back so that he has something to write about, but uh until until we find that out like in a few weeks he had he's like oh god what the hell do i write about i don't even know like we're going to be like well let's uh let's revisit the 1986 season see what happened there let's see how they- tommy kramer is at the wheel yeah yep. i think it's nice not to have to think about that for a little while absolute dead zone in the calendar which means we get to get a little bit weird with it the kansas city chiefs are your super bowl champions again they I guess said it wasn't possible yeah I, I guess that'll just be the case no every year forever yeah. Now, right? Yeah. It's funny. I, like, I've hated every sports dynasty that's happened during my lifetime. Like, just yeah, straight right. hated them. And I can't quite get there with the Chiefs. It's like, there's enough other stuff. I remember Andy Reid as, like, this kind of thwarted, you know, serial big game loser type. And Mahomes is incredible. And I can't even be mad at Travis Kelsey. And the guy misspelled the word eel in a tweet in, like, 2010. That's my type of super athlete. And they're good, you know, like there's no longer the factor like in in all the previous ones. It's like I know you got a special bee in your bonnet for Frank Clark. Just a bad guy. Tyreek Hill, pretty unpleasant human being as well. There's not really anything there to hate at this point, except for the fact that I'm kind of sick of watching them win the fucking Super Bowl by now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote about that. I was like, oh, well, I'm sick of the Chiefs because you just you get dynasty. Yeah. fatigue. Everybody gets it. Although I found the cure during this particular Super Bowl because I watched it after popping a gummy. And nice. I was like, I was like, this game's fucking great. Like, meanwhile, everyone's just bitching endlessly about the first half. Like, eh, there's no scoring. Eh, These teams are bad. So what were you when you were in your uh, galaxy brain and you're watching the first half and it's just punt to win? What were you digging? <laughs> like, what was the part that you were like, this is fantastic. Look at that linebacker play. Yeah, I mean, oh, honestly, okay, all right, yeah, it was like old time right. '90s football. Like i I enjoyed it. Like i i I don't mind. Like i I am used to the Super Bowls, like you know, like Eagles Patriots, where it's just it's a fucking yeah, like a shootout. It's like a SEC right. regular season game or whatever. Balls out, horse race, last team with the ball wins. All of that shit. I, I've always liked that kind of football game, but I do appreciate like an old school like 25, 22, 2017 win where there's like. Like six to three, no, that's a fucking dog shit yep. game. But like a, a medium scoring game where like every possession and every play on that possession feels like life or death because the margin for error is so thin and there's so little room for offenses to get touchdowns and all that stuff. Like I find that, I, I do find that compelling. And of course I yeah. got to see Taylor Swift like actually cheering for her team and like genuinely so, like she- she looked invested and I was very I was I was very impressed by that. Yeah, Good I think her. that's one of those things where there's like obviously a whole culture war gambit going on in a bunch of different directions about that. 
I feel like I not only, again in terms of things I can't be mad at. Like the music's not necessarily for me. She seems fine. She definitely gave a shit about the football game. She gave a shit in a obvious way about every game that I've seen her attend. Like yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You're good. She's a good fan. And you watch enough games where it's just like some famous person that's like faded off like five drinks and celebrity drugs looking at their phone the whole time, which is like every time you see a famous person in an NBA game, like Taylor Swift yelling. I'm like, yeah, fucking a go off queen. <laughs> like sh- show them what you, how you're supposed to do this. Yeah. Cause half the time they were like, well, there there's David Spade host of the new game show, the basement only yep. on Fox. And like he's, <laughs> Like he's he's like he's not even facing like the field. Like he's just like he's talking yep. to like fucking turtle from Entourage or something. Yeah, I was gonna like say like some like nineteen year old woman who doesn't want to talk to him. Like it's yep. that sort of yep. And yeah. this is totally different than that. Like this is Taylor Swift. I would say has replaced to me the image of the celebrity fan that I always had, which was Rob Lowe looking resolute with the hat that just had the NFL logo on it. Right. Like this or- is now now it's her. Or you get Marlins man, right? So it's oh like, yeah, Ugh. oh god, I, you know it's like I would rather watch, I'd rather watch an inset of Taylor Swift in the box all game long than ever see Marlins man at a fucking baseball game. Oh like, man, god, so I I think I've talked about this when I covered. This is the only big event I've ever covered, so I talk about it all the time. But I covered the. 2015 um, NLCS and World Series, I saw Marlins man and Darren Ravel talking to each other in the tunnel under City Field. And it was like, I I don't, it was like watching like Henry Kissinger, like fist bump, I don't know, Richard Nixon. Like it was just two like super villains in my personal cosmology being like, yeah, all restaurants are bad now. I don't even go anywhere anymore. I just door dash. Like just like two goblins high-fiving each other. Was Ravel like, how do you do it, Marlins man? How do you maintain your brand? Well, I should, like right. I was going to say, like, I actually, I noticed, well, every time you were on TV, your brand value went up 1.75 yep. million. Yeah. Some precise number. I, uh. I will admit that I was so shook by the visual of the two of them talking to each other. Marlins, man, you know, nothing can prepare you, including years of seeing him in that fucking windbreaker behind home plate. It's very bright. Darren Ravel in real life is as jarring as you'd expect. And I just kind of cruised right by it. Like as a journalist, that is a failure on my part. But I also feel like it's like every instinct that you have as a person is like, don't get involved in this. Don't make eye contact. Doesn't Ravel, like, in real life, doesn't he just look like sort of, like, replacement Drew Rosenhaus? Like, yes, he, he like does. Normal- he, looks like a, he looks like a million other guys. I was honestly surprised okay. that I recognized him. I mean, because he's he's got this – I don't know that normal people know who Darren Ravel is. He's a weird business There's reporter. no way. Yeah, anyway, we should stop talking about it, but it is uh, – No, no, we we can keep talking about it. This, we, we're free to be weird now. It's not football I guess season. that's true. Also, like, I, normal people and our listenership, that might not be a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram there. We this, should just – This will be one of those podcasts where you do the rub and you're like, well, it, it was it was just weird and we were bizarre because we were talking yeah. about stuff. Yeah, it's easier when there's like an actual th- – we'll get to actual things, I'm sure, at some point. Will we? I don't know. It's hard to say. Right. We got we got 40 odd more minutes. Uh, but the yeah, Ravel, like I think because he's done so much weird stuff. Like, do you remember the video of him trying to defend Kristaps Porzingis one on one? I actually don't. Give me a give me a recap. So this was like something he had somehow gotten himself into. I guess it was like a Nick when Porzingis was with the Knicks. This was during when America had Porzingis fever. Yeah, uh, m- many were lost. It was. 
some sort of event where you could play one-on-one against him. And Ravel showed up, you know, he's like not a tall guy. And Chris Depp's Porzingis is a very tall guy. Yes. So he's out there, but he was really, um, he was doing like Pat Beverly type maneuvers. Like he was like stomping his feet and sort of like fainting, you know, like sort of like jabbing at Porzingis. Uh, and Porzingis seemed unamused. But also, <laughs> it was weird. It was like when you see a video of like somebody playing basketball against their dog. And the dog doesn't necessarily know what's going on. It just knows that there's a bouncing ball and a person that it cares about. So it's kind of just running around and looking excited. Except for uh, Ravel was like a very ill-tempered dog. And Porzingis just kind of went around him. Uh, he was not very rude about it. But it was the sort of thing where I'd never seen anyone play defense like that. Not a, um, not a person, anyway. Like a spaniel. Did- did Ravel, was he wearing a headband? He was basically, so in my memory, yes, he was wearing a headband. I think I'm adding that. He was okay. wearing like little shorts and he a t-shirt. Got little shorts, yeah. Got yes. the short shorts. The Stockton he, shorts. And the yes. He should have been out there with the TJ, TJ Ford longs on, like going out like real uh, late 90s, early aughts. But a little bit of baller move. Yeah. But he, uh, it's a different sort of thing. What, did he, was he dribbling really hard? You know, the Y guy who dribbles really yes, hard? Yes, pounding the rock. I did yep. not get to see him on offense, but I would have loved, yes. Just like, oh, if I just dribble it. hard, the ball will go to fucking China. I'll just blast yep. it right through the fucking... Sends a message. It's alpha. <laughs> Can I, so my favorite Ravel story, this is something I think that describes him to people who don't or aren't familiar with his work. Um, I wrote a blog about this. I think it's the most perverted timestamp on a post that I've ever written. It was like, it went up at like 7, 12 PM on a Friday night, like really unacceptable. I was blocked. And the um, post that Ravel had written kind of got me out of it. It was when Aaron judge was chasing the home run record, the Roger Maris home run record. Okay. And the uh, real home run. Ugh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I knew you were going to say that it's podcast best practices to say it. And when you did, I was still, like, ugh. <laughs> anyway, so Ravel wrote a blog post that was basically like, so you've caught Aaron Judge's 62nd home run. Now what? And the he basically wrote it in the tone of, so you've been taken, like in the movie Taken. Like it is the whole thing is like, get the ball, get out of the stadium. Do not talk to anybody. You're going to want to change your appearance. Everything that you ever had, your previous life, leave it behind. This ball is what matters, and it is... Dye your hair. It is exactly that. It was like, don't take mass transit home. Like, it was basically like, because the ball, in his mind, was worth... It was like someone handed you a briefcase worth a million dollars, and then the whole world turns into the warriors with that mindset. And you just have to get home before the fucking baseball furies cut your head off. It's an amazing blog. His, not mine. I actually, um, I had to, like, a, a long time ago, I used to do, like, a weekly spot on a radio show, a sports talk radio show here in D.C. It was called The Sports Reporters. And uh, and one time they had Ravel on as, as one of the guests, and he was perfectly fine. Like, he was a perfectly nice, like, he was, you know, he, he wasn't boring. And I and I didn't troll him. I wasn't like, hey, you're a dipshit. Like, I didn't do any right. stuff. Like, I why was, would you? Well, because I also like they paid me like 200 bucks to be there for an hour. So I was like, okay, I won't keep making the money. Yeah. And that was different because like a week, some other week, Mike Tirico was on. And I was like, I was like, hey, you know, because it was back when he was doing MF with Gruden. And I was like, so like, uh, 
Like Gruden, when he's off camera, does he talk like, you know, like how he's in the booth? Like, oh, this guy, yep. Bob, he's giving me a good burger. And Tariko was so, so unenthused. He's like, no, not really, not really. No, I, he's a real professional. If you knew John Gruden, you'd know how seriously uh. he takes these And I was like, I was like, chill the fuck out, Mike Tariko. Yep. Just, just chill out, man. That's disappointing. That is, I mean, it's also kind of makes some sense that all these guys are just like looking out for each other because they're all getting paid like major league baseball starting pitchers and like they can't afford to, je- you know, jeopardize that in any way. Yeah, but some of them have more company man vibes than others. And Mike Tirico screams company man. Oh, absolutely. Turn. Yes, absolutely. And it's especially the idea that like if you can't joke around about John Gruden, then you just shouldn't in public like i'm sure that people ask Tariko about other things but that had to have been at the time the number one thing that anyone ever asked him about yeah it's john gruden he's the stupidest asshole who ever lived give me yep. a fucking break man and it's also like it's every american's birthright to do a john gruden voice like no matter where you are no matter how you grew up no matter what your circumstances you have a right to be like i like this guy like that's you're you can do it <laughs> It's, it sucks that he would be the one person that would somehow like absent himself from that conversation. Really, I want to talk to you about something serious, Roth. We we've we've had enough of our little fun time, but but now it's it's time to get to serious topics. Let's now get that the real. Chiefs have won the Super Bowl, now that the Pentagon has successfully rigged the game, yeah, in their favor, is Ridiculous. creamy Joe Biden's reelection now all but insured? <laughs> This was the one thing. This was now the, uh, I would say that from here, it's all downhill from here. All he has to do is just not die. And I feel like that's a, you know, how hard could that be, right? It can't be that hard. I mean, I almost died once, but I lived. So I can do it. Come on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and I would say- Come on, Jack. Hang it. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Let's get real, man. Or whatever. I don't know. I don't really do much of a Biden imitation. Uh, you know Biden what? can barely imitate Biden. I know. I you know something that this is James Austin Johnson, friend of the program. I guess can we say because he was on once like two years ago. Yeah, he, we sh- we should ask him on and see if he actually returns our our emails or not. Yeah, he wonderful guy and a wonderful guest, and he has developed a really good Biden imitation. But there's a part of me that's just sort of it feels um, it's like teaching Randy Johnson to become a really good softball pitcher. You know, like you've got a thing, a natural ability to do a really hard thing, and then you're trying to have them do something that's adjacent to it just because it also involves a ball or whatever. I I just feel like that's kind of a waste. Like, I don't know that there's really a whole lot to gain from imitating Joe Biden, which is the whole of his appeal, as far as I can tell, is that he's just kind of, you know, when he's coherent is that he's just like kind of normal boring grandpa like zero yeah that was the sales pitch like you it absolutely you will was. be i will be a boring president you will not have to think about me fucking one day longer than you have to and everyone was like oh my god yeah i could use a president like that and then he takes yeah. office and you're like wow this guy's really fucking boring yeah also like i'm not sure he's awake all the time like even when he's on tv or whatever but yeah whatever we're well, not we don't need to worry about joe because wait we're gonna talk about joe i want to talk about joe because last week a special prosecutor cleared the president of any criminal wrongdoing in an investigation that was really just kind of a cruel joke from its very inception. It was a, it was a get back for for Trump's uh, impeachment. But since prosecutor Robert Herr was a Republican appointee, he made sure to take a lot of jabs at Biden's age and cognitive skills in his final report. According to Herr, Biden was a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory who had diminished faculties. In advancing age. So can I clarify that? Can I clarify that? 
Yes, please. That was her speculating that that is how he – so in declining to prosecute Biden, he said that in a trial, Biden would be presented as what you just said, that it would be hard for a prosecutor to prosecute him because a good defense attorney would say – well-meaning elderly man with a failing memory. It's outside of her's remit to make that judgment himself. And it's not your fault that you conflated those two things because the fucking New York Times does it five times every day. Yep. It is a really weird elementary journalism mistake that has somehow become like mainstreamed as the new way of describing this guy. Pretty sure I actually, actually, pretty sure I actually cut and pasted that from a New York Times article yeah. that did not uh, include the context that you just added. So there was you. one. Their politics editor wrote a story yesterday. The headline of which is, "Which is worse, Joe Biden's age or Trump handing NATO to Russia?" And the <laughs> g- the gist of the story is, for some voters, the answer is it's like. But it had that quote in it. And it's like, well, you're the guy that's supposed to be fucking catching this, dude. Like, you're the, now you're pushing it. It just felt, I, it's funny. I don't, I resent having to defend Joe Biden at any level. I think that he, it's both possible for him to have overseen probably the most effective progressive presidency of my lifetime and also to be responsible for soaring, absolutely getting you sent to hell type war crime mistakes. Those are both happening at the same time. I don't like having to, again, it's not like I was enthused to vote for him necessarily. I did. Yeah. But this is not the version of forgetting about him that I was promised. (laughs) Like, this is not the deal. I did. I did want to have uh, a talk about this because, um, like, I think there were were a lot of reactions to it. Democrats freaked out because Democrats just freak out about fucking everything. A a slight draft blows in. Like, oh, what does this mean in November? It's Jover. Mind. Yep. Yeah. 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 All, that, all that stupid shit. And then you know, other people were like, well, "How dare you?" Like, you know, this is you know, I I I talked to Joe Biden. I had lunch with Joe Biden the other day, and he was just fine. Like, you big jerk. And right. then other people who were like, "Well, you know, Biden's an old man, but you know, Trump's an insane asshole." Who, by the way, is only like two years, two or three years younger than him. So, yep. what's the fucking difference, right? And I, I have a bit of a. I have somewhat of a, a stake in this because obviously I'm an American, so we're all affected. Right. I was going to say, we both have somewhat of a stake in it. In but also, that- like, I, I remember, like, I'm a TBI survivor, and I, I was piqued when people took a shit on John Fetterman for, you know, his cognitive impairment after having a stroke. Uh, and, you know, he was, he was going against Dr. Oz, and he beat Dr. Oz, but people, were, people still now goof on John Fetterman for being impaired. And so, and like— Policy when, reasons to do it now, too, though. But, yes— but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but with Biden, it's like the dude's over eighty. Like my my dad's over eighty. We don't let him drive a car. Like yep. So yeah, I, I, isn't it kind of fair to wonder if the insanely old man is prone to being an insanely old man? So he is the same age as my dad. Biden is, and. I don't want to say anything bad about my dad, but he shouldn't be president. It's the same deal. He also doesn't drive anymore. You know, like there's, and for good reason. My, my dad think, shouldn't be president. I love my dad. He, he My dad wouldn't want to be president. So right. Okay. I think that's kind of the difference. I feel like of all the the things that you listed there, the um, he's running against an insane fascist whose brain is in even worse shape. That's the, the relevant point. It yes. is depressing that this is the choice, you know, that it's like which of these very obviously diminished elderly white dudes is your 
choice for the, you know, whatever figurehead of the presidency. I feel like, you know, whoever it is that's making the decisions in the Biden White House, uh, you can see some sort of latent and unwelcome Biden tendencies in a lot of the stuff that he does. But I also feel like a lot of this is just being run by deputies. And some of those deputies are really good that like you can't, the national labor relations board has never been better in my lifetime. It's never been close to this good. There's enough stuff that's actually worked that I feel like, I mean, whatever, I don't know to what extent Biden is aware of it, but I feel like you got to kind of tip your cap. His name's on top of the administration in that regard. Also, he has a very lengthy history and, and struggle with with stuttering. That was yeah. it's been well documented. He talks openly about all the time the idea that you know he occasionally has a slip of the tongue. You know, it's not surprising for someone who has fought this for the better part of his lifetime and is now you know he he's old he's old. And the other thing is that we're going back to Trump. I was reading uh, Jamel Bowie in the Times, and he was pointing out well. He, he was making the point that we were making that, okay, Biden's old and all that shit, but Trump is is like, is considerably more insane. And I had not realized some of the shit that Trump had said lately. Like he had said, in order to protect the U.S., uh, he was going to build an iron dome over the entire country, which, yeah. you know, there's there's some practical issues with that, right? That's not- He's just out there saying whatever, man. But yes, I agree that there's been enough stuff of late where it's funny while we're talking about the way that the Times covers stuff like this or just in general. So like Trump is one of the two guys that could be president in a year, right? Like, and the way that in order, I think like they're sort of preemptively doing him a favor by taking the things that he says very unequivocally in like classic Trump fashion and then like building caveats into them that aren't actually there because otherwise it's really scary to think that a president is like, I would tell Russia to do this. And instead, if you write that as uh, he implied that he would send to Russia a message that he would approve of what it's like, no, dude, he didn't fucking none of that weasel language is there. That's you, (laughs) the journalist, like quote the guy. Like when he said the crazy thing, not that I don't know that it's going to make enough of a difference. I hope it does. But it's like, God, it's it's really bizarre. Like we're still learning the same lessons about this dude. And we've had nothing but him to talk about for going on 10 fucking years. I love it. I think it's, I think it's <laughs> Yeah, great. it feels I mean, amazing. To, to that end, I, I do want to go back to, to Bowie for a second. And I'm so restraining myself from saying Baba Bowie 500 times. This is, yeah, this is a serious that. conversation. We're not doing pop up puppet. Bowie. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, the other thing that Bowie said, because Bowie is like the only lucid op-ed columnist at the New York Times. The rest of them are fucking- He, he rocks. He's incredible. They're, they're all they're all ancient. They all like, they're all hell-bent on conflating. Like it's like Maureen Down shit where it's like, you know, uh, you know that Donald Trump is- is the Swifty of, I don't know. It's funny too, because Bowie does so much work. There's so much like historical reading underpinning everything. And he mentions the books, like he cites all of it. And then the standard that applies to the other guys is Brett Stevens being like, I saw a tweet the other day and I had me thinking. Like it's just incredible. And then he like misquotes the tweet or whatever. Like guys that literally can't hold themselves upright and then this dude has to share space with them it's yeah they can, anyway they like they like look shit up on google raw <laughs> yeah if their assistant do it really they can't even google it. so anyway so booby was talking about uh trump uh talking to the national rifle association in pennsylvania oh, I love their work. 
And the quote here, and this is a great quote, we have to win in November or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going They'll to change, change the name, the name. Pennsylvania. They're going to turn it into Woke-Sylvania and you won't be able to stop them. And it's very disturbing and nasty and unfair. This was one of those things. I saw somebody trying to like reverse engineer this the other day because a lot of times when Trump says really bizarre shit, it's like you can – it's the the end of a game of telephone that begins with him watching Fox News at 5.50 in the morning, you know, and then it just gets turned over in his head, like in the shino ballo of his mind until it comes out as a completely different reflective surface. And this was one where they were sort of like, it had something to do with like, there, it was like very, very confusing. It's getting harder. Like it used to be when Trump was like, they're taking all the water and they're putting it in the ocean and they don't rake the forests and that's where the forest fires come from. It was all like, it used to be that someone would be like, yeah, he talked to a rancher who complained about runoff or like irrigation or something. And so then you could see the germ that later becomes the other thing. This one, I think like everybody's kind of like, I don't know where he's getting the idea. Like people are complaining about changing names like it had something to do with like changing the name of a statue or changing the name of a building. And then from there, he was kind of like, yeah, they're changing the state. They're going to call it a nice place for black guys now. And it's very bad. And that's like, but it's and getting worse. It's like, yeah. you don't know, they don't know what else to do. It's like, it's like taking care of like their dying grandpa. They're like, yeah, sure. Grandpa. That's right. It's so just, it's terrible that they do what, that. Sir. Whatever you, whatever you say, can I go? Let's get TV you home. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll take a break. We're going to come back and talk about more uh, more stuff. Before we cut to the break, you may know that Usher has a residency in Vegas, but did you know that Montel Jordan has his own residency in Reno? Ooh. That's right. <laughs> For just $15, Roth, you and your boo can enjoy a night at it. This is how I did it. A Montel Jordan career <laughs> retrospective. You get a free baked potato with any loge level ticket purchase. It's only at the Gold Ranch Casino and RV Resort. We do it like nobody does. We'll be right back. This is like honestly describing an ideal night out to me. That's great. <laughs> I love baked potatoes. This episode of The Distraction is sponsored by Blue Land. I'm going to be honest with you here, listeners. Cleaning the toilet is not my favorite task. My favorite task is making dinner. But Blue Land's toilet tablets make it easy. They are proven to work on a range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. The classic things that happen in your toilet. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and better for the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. You fill your reusable bottles with water, you drop in the tablets, wait for them to dissolve. You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run again. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. I myself feel good about using them because they work. We use them in a wide variety of ways around the house. We use them for the dishwasher, we use them for washing the dishes, washing our hands, and it doesn't take up space. It doesn't make you feel bad about putting stuff into the water table. And it does honestly look pretty nice design-wise. If you've seen what a, like a bottle of palm olive or a toilet bowl cleaner looks like, this is a major, major leap forward. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash distraction. 
You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash distraction for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash distraction to get 15% off. And we're back. We're talking about serious shit with David Roth of Defector. And we, wow. we'll get to the fun bag in just a second. Thanks I just, for having me, Drew. There was the, you're welcome. <laughs> with my sweaty balls. So anyway, we were <laughs> we were talking about, you know, sort of the the general incoherence of uh, you know, just sort of the, the political atmosphere right now. It's only growing more, in, more incoherent. So that end, uh, I know you want to talk about um the influence that a shady ass dipshit hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman, has had uh, on the conservative movement recently. He, he's very much against DEI because who wants diversion? Who or who wants diversity? I mean, what what good has that ever done, people? I mean, I feel like that's kind of a rough. diverse neighborhood. Are you sure you want to go there? He's- that's right. Our, yeah. So, a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Reeves Weidman, did a a very long profile of Ackman. Uh, in New York Magazine, in which Ackman says just some very typical idiot shit from a, a, just an inherently unremarkable person. Like he was like, he's like, oh, I believe that I, I met a guy named Hamburger who ran a McDonald's. So I believe people's names are are an omen, a portent of of, of how they're going to be. And and that's why I'm Ackman. I'm activist man. Like he said shit like that to read. Can I, I the bit is, I'm going to read that verbatim. Is that all right? Please correct me. Do the proper journal. You've been no, no, properly fact checking me. You got all. you got everything right. I just feel like the um the bit of it. It's a very good story. I recommend it. Here it is. Um, Ackman believes that our lives are often faded from birth. Quote: I have a view that people become their names. He told me, like I've met people named Hamburger that own McDonald's franchises. We'd been talking for nearly an hour and a half when Ackman asked me what my name was, hoping to offer a diagnosis. After he seemed momentarily stumped by my surname, I offered him my first name, which he misheard as Reed. Reed. Right, he said, before turning back to himself. So my name is Ackman. It's like activist man. I think it's like if you had shown him a Kathy cartoon at that moment or where she's saying Ack because it's bathing suit season or whatever, I think he his mind would have exploded. We would have solved the entire problem. It would have been a scanner scenario. I mean, this is real grade schooler shit. Like, like. My 11-year-old would not even say shit like this. Like, it's just... The story is so full of rich guy stuff like this. Like, people with literally a billion dollars getting together and be like, do you think there's aliens? And he got the dumbest shit in the world. And he got Claudine Gay dragged in front of Congress and then fired from Harvard or forced to resign, you know, come see, come see. Right. And it's like, it just, none of it makes a, a... goddamn look of sense and i don't even know what the the aim is anymore because it's always like it's always this it's always a guy who's like well actually i'm i'm liberal in a lot of other respects like i give money to like i don't know bob's abortion house or whatever you know and, right. and then they're like then they're like but but having black people at college mm, that's not for right me. you gotta draw the line somewhere yeah. this is see, i think where you can really see the limits of like what a rich person's politics are like as soon as they are inconvenienced, you find out what they actually believe. And in this case, I mean, the inconvenience in the story, as in so many of these, and this is similar to, you know, you don't want to at this point, like a diagnosis on Elon and what happened to his brain is like 
uh, it wouldn't have to involve toxicology. Like it's not yes, the sort yes. of thing that like, but for in this story, uh, Reeves quotes Ackman is talking about his daughter went to Harvard as he did himself. And she came back and had like red marks and had like critical views about capitalism. And he was like, whoa, 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 who did <laughs> this to you? Like, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. And that it's like the idea that one moment of having your incredibly fatuous, incredibly pompous, self-centered view of the world punctured, even just like your kid being like, no, that's not how it works. It sucks. Workers are actually exploited sometimes. Like that being the fucking radioactive spider bite that turns you into this is incredible. Like yeah. develop a coping skill. <laughs> that is not kid- like any way to be. The kid got into Harvard, by the way. Harvard wasn't like, you know what? We're not going to bring your daughter. And we found this crack addict off yeah. the street that we're going to allow instead. Right. And it's like part of our issue. Yeah, right. In this case, it's like, it's still like Harvard. I think this is like the real, and I people were writing about this around the time when all of these uh, sort of presidents of Ivy League colleges were getting dragged in front of Congress for these show trials. And there's Times was covering it, you know, with multiple stories per day that that basically the thing that all of these people fear is not diversity or equity. I mean, they do fear diversity, equity, and inclusion because they think it would dilute the cultural power they have. But what it really is, is fucking legacy admissions at all of these schools. Yeah, like not this, I don't know Bill Ackman's daughter. Obviously if she read Das Kapital, then she's got more going on upstairs than I do. I couldn't finish shit, but it's, Still the case, I think, that any of these guys, as soon as they start feeling that they're not on top of anything anymore, you find out either like that they were never liberal in the first place or that that liberalism always had to do with a sort of a deeply paternalistic understanding of their role in the world. And as soon as other people start having any say in what their lives are like, they're like, all right, shut the fuck up. Let me t- let me handle this. Yeah, let me- it's like it's like. Wait, you mean I don't get to control how everyone acts and thinks? Yeah, like, that that can't stand. We can't. The Ackman can't. story is amazing. I do recommend the profile to anybody uh, that is interested in reading about assholes. Not everybody is as into it as I am, including you, Drew, probably. <laughs> right. So I'm sorry about that. But the he is so deranged by the experience of like having posted on Twitter and gotten a lot of response on like late stage, like terminal now school Twitter that yeah, shitty it, Twitter. Yes. Shitty Twitter. Not like, not like I, uh, you know, when people liked the fucking Stephen a tweet, that was cause it was cool. Whereas, <laughs> but for him, it's like, he writes a 4,000 word screed about how, like when you come after my wife with accusations of plagiarism, you better know like th- that sort of, you know, posting like Skeletor voice type shit that clearly the response that he got is wrecking his mind in real time. And you can read it in the story. Like this is a guy that was probably always an asshole, but like the second that someone made a meme with him in it, where he like looks like Commodus or whatever, or not who's com which one was the gladiator? Which one was Russell Crowe? That's Maximus. Maximus. Commodus was the emperor. Get your dad movies straight, motherfucker. Embarrassing. So apparently, and Ackman would roast me for that because he loves gladiator. No surprise. But as soon as he winds up on fucking Maximus's body, his like goofy face is on there. It's like every other functioning part of his brain is gone. What did yeah, you like, get oh. from this story? Because I, I read stuff like this in the same way that I think people 
pick at scabs. It is a bad habit in the yeah. same way that like biting my nails is. You generally will read normal shit instead. What was your takeaway from this other than that I need to straighten my life out? No, I mean, I think it's just, um, it was a well-reported piece that that revealed the hollow core of someone like this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is not terribly surprising, but you do have to see it. And it, it went to something that you, you wanted to talk about, which was, you know, this is sort of the only... Um, only takeaway you can get when someone like Reeves goes and does the long form reporting, but the number of those long reads is dwindling more and more as media outlets shed writers. So I believe that you said to me, you were concerned about the future of long form reporting. Are you? <laughs> I am we- too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's like, we call it long form because we like to say silly words, but also like there is a sense this story is not as long as like there's a new like Patrick Radden Keefe story in the New Yorker that's twice as long, you know, that, then that is one of those that's things every that New Yorker story. It is. And it is like every New Yorker story, which is fine. I eat that stuff like candy too. Like I have an amazing appetite for reading things that make me upset or uh, feel weird one way or the other. But I also feel like it's, I mean, nobody does what the New Yorker does for better or worse. Like, and I think like, it's you know can be both within the same issue like that length of story is unusual and i think there's very few places that sort of do you know what reeves did with this one i don't know if this is 2500 3000 words like that's a long story but it's not crazy long i think the thing that's like hard for me to get my head around with this and that actually sort of concerns me is that uh sometimes you need to write a story of that length Sometimes you don't, but sometimes you need to write a story of that length in order to cover it adequately, to sort of like give the correct sense of the scope of the thing that you're writing about. And a magazine budget is necessary for that in a lot of instances. I mean, in terms of like if you are going to pay somebody to travel over the course of a long period of time, like this feels like Reeves spent, you know, weeks, not months. The Patrick Radden Keefe one covers a span of years and a lot of it is set in london and i you know of all the things obviously like the thing about the last few months in terms of like all these jobs getting lost it's the jobs getting lost that hurts me it's the people suffering from it but i also feel like there's something more than just depressing about the idea of all of these places making the same decision to just do less instead of like trying to find some new way to do good work. It just feels like everybody is sort of embracing this death spiral up to and including the time, the New Yorker cutting a bunch of people. And that's a fucking drag to me, dude, because like, I don't know what replaces this, but if it's nothing, then like the culture is dumber just as a result of that. Well, I, to go back, uh, Tommy, I think Tommy Craig's uh, coined the term schlong form because it used that's to it's. be so like back when the New York times first ran snowfall, the first sort of interactive mm-hmm. form story that you really couldn't, you couldn't fall down without finding some 7,000 word piece at any outlet that yeah. actually probably could have been 3,000. And then Absolutely, people would, yes, yes. And then people would, you know, would, would signal boost it on Twitter saying, this is so important without having read it. And so it was always like, we always, you know, sort of gagged. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was masturbatory. It was, it was, it was writers overwriting to show that they could overwrite, right? Like, yep. oh, just because the length connoted quality. But it's also that like abundance mindset of that era of the internet where there was all this money and you didn't need to print anything. So it's like you could write as long as you wanted. Yes, you, you know, could. there's no column inches. It's just 
infinite scroll, baby. Good thing I don't override. It's never (laughs) happened. Same for me. Thank goodness. Two guys qualified to talk about this shit. Did did I ever tell you that when I I profiled Stephen A. for GQ, the draft I handed in to my editor, Chris Gayamali, was 20,000 words. That is insane. Right. And he, he didn't yell at me about it. But he should have yelled at me about it. Because like the final it, piece was like it 11, It's That's long. Wow. Yeah. It's too long. It was too fucking long. Like I was like, I was like, well, this will this will go viral because people will finally find out that Stephen A is a parent. No, that was like <laughs> that was like five thousand words in. People were like, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read this shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, all right. So that's a great story. And so therefore kind of a bad example in the sense that some things like want to be long, deserve to be long. Twenty thousand words is extreme that yes, is it's too it's too goddamn long but yeah i mean i think that that's i guess like we're all sort of trying to find the level there but the idea that it feels like there's an executive decision that's been made at like levels where journalists don't reach you know where it is just executives or whatever that is instead of it being twenty thousand words is too long we got to run it at 11 it's like could it be a tiktok do we have to pay for it <laughs> like one way or another and i don't know like, to what extent are we supposed to be, like, how sad should I be, I guess, that all of this feels like an endangered genre? Well, there's two things. One is that it's, it's, it's the, the relationship that I've had with long form is not unlike the relationship I've had with newspapers since becoming a blogger. So when we started out blogging, we were like, ah, oh, we're going to kill the newspapers. All these people are old. They suck. And then all the newspapers went away. And I was like, wait. Like, whoa, not like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, we actually need this shit. What's the same sort of thing where it's like, oh, ah, you know, Louisa Thomas wrote 25,000 words on why Jack Haley was such a, a fun guy on the bulls, whatever <laughs> the fuck. Uh, and like, this is, this is pointless. This is stupid. And of course, now that these are, these are fewer and farther in between. It's like, oh my God, I need, I need the schlong form back. But yep. what has happened is that so many of these outlets do not consider, they don't, they're not getting the immediate return investment that they think they should get when they, when they pay thousands of dollars for a writer to travel and to work and to not post anything for a few weeks because they have to work on something that's, that, has a longer gestation process than that. And so they they're they're only seeing the the calculable value of a story, right? They're not seeing how like like when we were at Deadspin uh you know the stories that made Deadspin into the colossus it was were long form stories about Greg Hardy, about uh Manti Teo, uh about um uh, about Jason Whitlock, yeah, uh, fucking Rayland, like, and they were they were long stories. They they had a new they had news news value to them, immediate news value to them, but they they required a lot of legwork. And Deadspin is not would not have had the reach that it had when we quit without those stories. But it, you don't necessarily see that the week those things are published. Like you see, like oh well, a hundred thousand people read it. And it made five hundred dollars in ad revenue this week. Eh, yeah, we we don't need to do that kind of story anymore. You know. Yeah, and that's definitely the sort of thing too that if you understand that it does all work out in time, then you know that that's important. But if you are a Cretan and you don't like to read, or if you're just an executive and you only care about 
you know, a number that goes up or doesn't go up, you would look at that and be like, well, this highlight blog had more people reading it. Like more people watched like Victor Wembanyama's 10 blocks supercut. Like even, you know, and that doesn't even need to live on a website anymore. All of that lives on other platforms now. If that's the lesson is that the two things exist in symbiosis, that they have to, that one sort of pays for the other, but that like one also like lends credibility and heft to the other. And I think that as that decouples, it's like, you know, where are you? Yeah, it, it requires vision, essentially. Yep. I mean, you mm-hmm. need people at the top who have true vision of, and, I, you know, I, I hate using Steve Jobs as an example because he was a bastard, but he was a genuine visionary, right? Because he was like, okay, I want to I wanna offer a product that gives people a chance to, you know, like, you know, he's he's the guy who said, you know, when I want to change the world, he actually fucking did it. And yep. Every other Silicon guy, Valley guy, is saying he wants to change it really just because he wants to make a lot of money. Right. The vision needs to be something past the money because the vision actually, if you realize it, makes you more money than just do you know, sort of making cuts and cutting corners and I think and trimming budgets and having austerity and and getting stuff to get the stock up like, you know, fucking 10 points, you know, over the course of a year or whatever the fuck. I think that's such an important point. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think so I'm not like a like in a woo-woo way, but I think that like loser energy radiates. Like you can sense yeah. it. When a place is giving up, I think that so the example I always use for this is like basic cable television. And like do you still have cable or did you fully cut your I have cords? YouTube TV and it's fantastic. Yeah, everybody, it is a really good product. Uh when I was in Arizona, my friend Jay was watching four college basketball games at once on YouTube TV and I was like this actually is the future that I want. <laughs> like, yep. This is like, this yeah. works. It's fucking great. But the, the thing about the way that like basic cable works, we still have it. We have a really good deal through our building. Not only is there not a lot of new stuff, you can like every network is just running like fucking horrible bosses too all yep. weekend long, back to back. They don't give a shit. They don't care if people are watching it. They, and those things, that business is still very profitable. It's just that all the people involved have decided that it's dying and therefore act as if it's already dead, leave it be. And they make their, you know, passively make income in the way that like a landlord of a shitty apartment might. Right. What's people watch that about, shit, but they don't watch it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just wallpaper. Or it's like they're paying for it, but they don't, they don't, it's like the way that like AOL still makes money off people that use the like CD-ROM to get online. You know, like it's just like, <laughs> yeah, ooh, it's very accurate. That It's Thank got you. that like vestigial kind of like, it's still, you know, whatever like it's basically tapped out but it doesn't know that it's dead yet but to me regardless i don't know enough about television to know what the difference is if you start treating the written word that way like that is the thing that's going to kill it it's not like young people don't like to read it's not even like young people don't like print like i not everybody but like kids are fucking gonzo for books like zoomers want to read magazines they want to read literary stuff like that's real that's happening and like maybe not on the scale that like Anna Winter or like you know Conde Nast is into one way or the other, but the gig is to try to figure out a way to get people to buy the thing that you make. Right. It's not like, and that's not like a fucking noble calling. That's like the lizard part of your brain. Just do it. Like if you're not doing that, and if the idea is like we're going to die as profitably as possible, and then at some point I will leave and retire to my vacation house. That's criminal to me. That's fucking vandalism on top of the fact that it's also loser shit. 
Well, it's just, it's poor business sense because yeah. you are not, your only concern is the profit and not the product. Whereas, and you know that, you know, you can, you can make a profit by buying other companies and liquidating them and, you know, doing all sorts of nasty shit. But if you focus on the product, if you're like, look, I just really want to sell a very, very good product. Then all of a sudden it works. Like, yeah. I'll give you an example. Like, It's ben also Cohen, a more solvable problem, right? Because it's yeah, the sort but, of thing where it's like, you're just trying to make something that people want to buy. You're not like trying to deal with like all of these other sort of macro factors that are outside of your control. Like maybe you win or you lose, but if you're not trying to do that, you're certainly not going to win. Yeah. I just want you to give me a good product. Like, like Ben Cohen, who worked at Deadspin for a cup of coffee. Yeah. I worked with him he, at the journal when I was first starting out too. Fucking so he wrote Wonder a big kid. thing in the journal about athletic beer. Now, if you've ever heard of athletic beer, you know that it is exclusively non-alcoholic. It has taken over America. It It is Whole Foods' number one selling beer. Really? Non-alcoholic or alcoholic. Wow. That's how That's how popular it is. And, you know- Also he, pretty good from my experience. Like, I like it fine. Yeah. Right. And so he, you know, he did a profile of, you know, what the founders of this company, and they used to work in finance, of course, but they were like, okay, well, we got to figure out a way to make, we got to figure out a way to make near beer taste good. And we got to figure out a way to sell it where it's like, hey, this is this is for everybody and not just people who are embarrassed, you know, at a party because they're a recovering alcoholic and they want to be seen with a beer, but they can't drink yeah. beer. Or so they, they you know, so they marketed it as like, look, you, you like the taste of beer, but you can't always have a beer because you're working or working out or whatever the fuck. Like, here, try this. And it worked. And people did. And they just made a good fucking product. And hey, presto, like all of a sudden they carved out a new billion dollar segment uh, of industry, you know, yep. by by making a good product. Like, not unlike Defector.com. Honestly, raw. like, I, it's been so hard for me not to say, because it is like, that is what our ambition is. We're not going to make one of the great American fortunes, but every now and then you wind up dealing with some rich person who's like the heir, six generations on, like somebody in their family invented Triscuits, right? And like, that's fine by me. Like, I would like that person to be taxed at a very high rate. I would want that family to be taxed at a high rate. Yes. But, like, Triscuits rock. Like, if you invented Triscuits, yeah. you should fucking make money from that. That's fine to me. Yeah. You know? And I think in this, in this case, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like beyond the overcomplication of it, the financialization of every industry and I think, like, I recommend the the Mike Schur episode we did during the writer strike, especially for this, because he's so lucid on it. But it is, I think you see it, I quoted somebody who is quoted in a Maureen Kochik story on the blog that I wrote about Boeing a few weeks ago. This is a financial guy who had a Boeing engineer who had been, like, in the company and had been just talking to anyone there who would listen. This is in 2017, 2018. The story is from 2019. Who was like, the product is getting worse. Like this is like the planes are becoming unsafe at some point. Like we have to go back to doing things the way that we did in the past. We can't subcontract all of this shit out. Like it's going to hurt the business on top of everything else in terms of, you know, like just our bottom line. And the, the finance guy that Maureen quotes this guy quoting is like, I get this all the time from everybody. Everybody's like, oh, my business is different, but no business is different. Every business is the same. And that mindset 
That way of treating everything, treating movies and airplanes and magazines and whatever the fuck else, as if the only thing that you can do from it is squeeze it and squeeze it and squeeze it until it produces 7% profits for the people that own the shares, literally will kill us one way or another. Well, right, because you, if you simply if you can't hamburger, think like that. Like, if you make a shitty hamburger, I just... I wasted 10 bucks. You make a shitty airplane, I die. That's right. not Exactly. That's not good. And I think it's also one of those things where like the idea the opposite of trying to make a good product that people want to buy is buying a company that makes a hamburger that people like and then trying to figure out how much shittier you can make it. How much more newspaper can you put in the patty while charging the same price? Right. Criminal. Right. And Disgusting. you know, you know, can you know, <laughs> like, can we buy can we buy a a copper mine while we're at it too? Like we'll make hamburgers and wire. Like yeah. that would be perfectly fine. God, yeah, every business is the same. How hard could it be? Uh, it's time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for one. Yeah, Roth. It's from Christian. And he says, what is the worst kind of pizza, and why is it easily Detroit style? I did oh. not tell Christian to deliver that stray to people. Are going to get defector. mad? I, I really. Uh, didn't. So. <laughs> we're speaking of, I mean, we're talking about bad products so yeah so there's ones that i have only read about or heard tell of i know the famous one i think it was bill Filippo that put the first picture up but the altuna one where it's like a piece of american cheese melted yes. over a green pepper Ooh. mcquade's had it and it's like it's not as bad as you think which is i will give him some credit on that st louis with provel on it uh never been curious about it i wouldn't say it's the thing that I'm least into about St. Louis, but it's got to be up there. Uh, but I've never had it. And every pizza that I've had, up to and including Detroit style, is delicious to me. Like, if it's done properly, I feel like I almost have to recuse myself from this. Like, it's some version that I haven't had. I like Chicago style, man. I know it's, like, heretical in some ways. I was going to ask it's you fucking about good. Yeah, yeah I had some, weirdly, I had some when I was out in Tucson, and it's fucking excellent. Like, yeah. it's a different thing. It's like a, it's like eating a pie or a casserole or whatever, but I dug it. Yeah, I think if you, I think if you go into it, understanding that it is not pizza, like as you know it, and it's right. a different sort of food stuff, you're like, oh yeah, it's good because it's, you know, it's bread, cheese, and tomato. It's gonna, it's gonna taste good. I uh, yeah, I also draw that distinction between like pizza that I want to be good, and then this happens not very often, but just given you know, how I grew up and sometimes like, you know, just having to order food for myself because we're eating dinner late or no one's around or whatever. Like sometimes you want Domino's and sometimes you want pizza, you know, <laughs> and those are different products to me, but I've had cravings for both. Does that make sense in any way? Yeah. I'm going to tell right. you, I do have an answer for this. And it is if you go to a half upscale American restaurant and it has like, it has nice bar food, like it has, you know, it has fried calamari for 15 bucks and all that mm -hmm. shit. There was always a section of that menu. Ooh, flatbreads? We'll have flatbreads, right? Yep, all right. And you'd be like- Drag their asses. You're right. Like, <laughs> like, oh, caramelized onion and mushroom flatbread. That sounds delicious. Sounds really good. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to get that. And I get it. And it's always like, it's always fucking C minus pizza. It's yep. like, it's fine, but it's like, it's doughy. It's nothing memorable. I'm not like blown away. It's like- it's like California Pizza Kitchen, but like they they couldn't even make it that good. Like, yep. Like that yep. to me, like 
Like the Altoona thing is like, this is perverse, but that's like American berserk. That is like a Lynchian slice of pizza. <laughs> like it's different. Well, also it's like, like, like the bar is like, oh, I ate it and didn't barf. So therefore it's better than you think. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, right. Like I was able to bite through the cheese. I know it looks like you'd bite it and then you just pull it off. Like the way you might pull a comforter off a bed, but you can actually penetrate it with your teeth. It's fine. I don't, yeah. I don't enjoy congealed cheese on No, on it's pizza. the, the worst. That's, that's what I, I don't like. But- I think you're exactly right that like overly fussed over versions of it is like, there's obviously like, there's a level of like trash pizza, like pizza hut from the bus station or whatever. Like you already know, like Sbarro in a mass setting. Yes. Like you just can't do it. I wouldn't eat it. I would go hungry instead, Uh, which is not like a brave or principled stance. It's just like, I don't want to eat that. It's like a fucking couch cushion. But I think that the like kind of, chefy version of it that you can get at like a markup is more frustrating to me because it's the sort of thing where it's like clearly someone who knows how to cook made this but they didn't think very highly of me or of it <laughs> and that's like kind of a drag right it's 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 just it basically when pizza is retrofitted into hotel restaurant food that's when you know you're in trouble that's when yeah. i don't like it. it's that's- also funny that like i think the the pendulum's kind of like swung back away from like fancier style stuff like uh, so much of what i've read when people are like celebrating pizza these days is like the new haven model of it and i love new haven style pizza like oh yeah was yeah up there the for best. a while we love modern pizza please advertise on the podcast i'll do a 45 minute ad read about how good your shit is yeah but that is yeah. like that stuff doesn't have like fresh mozzarella on it or like a no. like, complicated chef it's like pizzeria from the 90s type products you know it's like and yet it's perfect because the ovens are crazy and everybody knows how to do it and that's just like i think that that is actually what we're aiming for here like as cool as it is to have an elevated version of it like the version of patsy's that's in like the nice restaurants in new york and then the version of patsy's that's on like whatever it is 110th street on first avenue in harlem they're a world apart and the one that's using the like replacement level products is significantly better the other thing Why is I, I got I got beef with the flatbread format of pizza. Go like off. if you go to like and pizza, so like you don't get a slice, you get a you flat. get like something that looks like a keyboard, yep. you know, and, and it's cut into like eight like half squares and shit. I, I I don't want that. I want how am I supposed to fold it in half? Yeah, I want I want a triangle. Like yep. don't fuck with me on this. I want <laughs> a triangle slice. Like this is not this is not pizza. This is you know. This is a pita bread that you you fucked up. Like, I think no. that's exactly right. It's a, kind of a weird thing to acknowledge about yourself that that's an issue. But I remember the, I think it was the, um, I forget the name of the, we shouldn't say the name of the sponsor anymore, but where the Chargers play in Los Angeles. When they were rolling out their concessions, do you remember the long hamburger? Oh, yeah, I remember the long hamburger. I was so offended by that. And I've been trying to figure out why. Because it's just, there's something about it where I was like, no, that's a square. What the fuck did you do to this thing? Why does it look like that? Do you get mad wrong at Wendy's it? having square burger patties? No, I like that. That's fine. That is a that is identifiable. This was a rectangle. Like, this looked like a McRib. Like, I think you that's Ooh. disrespectful to me. And I don't know why I feel that way, but clearly I feel it very deeply. 
Well, I think now, now I want to go have some pizza. So let's yep. uh, right. let's retire and have some pizza. Eric Silver Much is our time. producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com, a great product. It is. Go to Defector. Hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. We will mm-hmm. see you next week, probably with a guest. Enjoy the off-season, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.